Everybody who's in product knows that we have a tough job. I mean, we have to make tough decisions pretty much every day. But for me, the most challenging point in my entire professional life came two years ago when I actually had to make decisions about the livelihood of people in my team. I had to make these really, really tough decisions about laying off people and eventually realizing that I myself was no longer needed. Hey everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Product. I am thrilled to have with us today, Laura Marino, who is the Chief Product Officer at True Accord. And if you're not familiar with True Accord, they are a fintech company reinventing debt resolution, which we will speak a lot about today. Um, about Laura, she's very passionate about scaling companies and product organizations. And prior to joining True Accord, she's led product teams, small and large organizations, including SAP Labs, Nuance, Microsoft, and Fast Leader. She has been named the top 25, one of the top 25 fintech product, no, the top 25 fintech product executive of uh, the year in 2021 by the Financial Technology Report. And she was also the winner of the 2020 Technology Up and Comers by Okta and Business Insider. Laura holds two Masters of Science degrees from Stanford. I get one was not enough. Although the guest speaker in the Stanford Management Science and Engineering Department, she lectures on product management and entrepreneurship. She's been a keynote speaker at the Women in Product Conference, so you may have heard her before. Um, and she's also been at Industry, the Product Conference. She is a frequent guest at Product and FinTech Focus podcasts, and we're very happy to have her here with us today. She is also a dedicated supporter of women in diversity and serves on the board of Leading Women in Technology, which is a nonprofit dedicated to promoting women in leadership. Laura, I'm so pleased to have you. Where are you zooming in from? Hey, Tiana, I'm delighted to be here. I am in the San Francisco Bay Area. Beautiful weather we're having here today. It looks beautiful. We were just talking. You've got a gorgeous bougainvillea tree behind you and a Japanese maple. And you have this like ethereal glow of fuchsia and deep reds around you. It seems beautiful today. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, Laura, I'm so glad that you were able to join us today. You've got just a very impressive career trajectory, um, and I think that people are going to have a lot of opportunity to learn from you and, you know, your career arcs. But also, I'm super excited to dig into TrueCord, which I have to say is working in a problem space that not everybody understands very well. Um, I think it's just really impressive what you guys have done there. Um, so maybe just to, to help people understand a bit more about what debt looks like and what you guys are working on. Maybe you could just give us a high level riff on what that is and what draw, uh, drew you to True Accord. Yeah. So when you think about people in debt, a lot of people have loans, you use credit cards, but when something happens, when um, it may be illness, it may be somebody loses a job and people are not able to keep current with the the loans that they have with paying back their credit cards, they fall into 
uh, debt that is debt that's behind. So they are behind with their payments. And it is a very traumatic situation because here you have people who had been paying their debts and all of a sudden they're behind. And traditionally the way in which companies dealt with people who had fallen behind was with this not very friendly debt collection, especially for debts that were already defaulted. And defaulted debt is debt that has been behind for typically more than 60, 90 days. So traditionally what banks, credit cards, and even some fintechs would do is rely on third-party debt collectors that would have these big call centers calling people and saying, you have to pay, you have to pay. What True Accord is looking to do and has been doing for the last couple of years is changing that approach. When people are behind in their payments, when people are in debt, what they need is a way to be able to get current again. And what they don't need is somebody calling them and potentially threatening them saying, you need to pay. So the way that True Accord started, the CEO of True Accord, uh, Ohad Samet, realized that the way in which people in debt were treated had nothing to do with the way in which we want to treat consumers. And he looked at technology and consumer-focused approach as the right way to help people in debt. So what True Accord does is we rely on digital channels, we rely on AI technology, to reach out to people in debt and to give them options on payment plans so that they can choose, they can uh, really take control of their situation, figure out what they need so that they can get out of debt. We don't rely on calling people. It's more email, SMSs. We have an entire team that is optimizing for what's the right tone, what's the right message to engage with people who are going through that situation to bring them to a self-service portal where they can pick the plans that work for them and allow them to slowly start getting back out of debt. So it is a really very different approach. And the reason I was attracted to True Accord in the first place was because I saw that space as a space where it definitely could be transformed with both technology and a consumer-focused approach. In fintech, that's what we, what companies try to do is really improve the consumer experience. But debt collection had not been touched really by technology and by that consumer approach. So that's what we're doing. And I think it's really exciting because we do have a very mission-driven company. Absolutely. And I mean, I think it, it would be really important for people who maybe have been privileged enough not to I know what it's like to be kind of founded by debt, uh, to go into this, because I know actually you guys were founded, if I recall, because your CEO had this kind of firsthand experience of how easy it is to slip into debt and um, how you're kind of treated in a way that just you go from suddenly being a, a valued customer who matters to somebody who is kind of like unwanted, unthought about, you know, or, or maybe even made the deal actually even worse than that because of the kind of abusive approach that goes towards collection of debt. So. What, what was your experience with this? You know, had you had, ever had any firsthand experience? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about why this resonated for you. I personally had not had that experience, but you're right. Our CEO, he at some point had forgotten to pay something. He had not realized that he was behind. And then he started getting these calls. 
Uh, and he realized that that was not the way that he wanted to be treated. The way I see it, it's interesting because I've been in product all my life, pretty much. And we product people are always very focused on our consumers, our users. What's the user experience? And when I joined True Accord and when I started learning more about fintech in general, what really uh, was something confusing to me is you have all these fintech companies that are absolutely focused on providing the best possible experience to their users. But the day one of those users falls behind, it feels like they fall off a cliff. They become a piece of data to improve the underwriting models, but they sort of fall in a place in a black hole and nobody thinks about their experience. And the reality, I mean, if you look at the data, there's about 80 million people in debt in the US. And no matter how good underwriting models are, every company that's lending will have people who fear no fault of their own are going to fall behind. And what I feel is really important is for those companies to think about those people and to think about that part of the life cycle that they may need to go into that is falling behind and then recovery. But nobody seems to be thinking about them. They stop being a consumer. They stop being a customer the day they fall behind. So for me, coming from product, that was very shocking. And what we tried to do as we partner with some of our clients who are fintechs is that for those consumers who actually fall into debt, we are there to treat them with the same type of respect, with the same type of modern self-service technologies that they've been accustomed to when they were still current and working with the neobank, the credit card company that was providing them the services. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I really like the the way that you kind of go into depth about what it means to kind of be customer centric for you guys, right? So a whole team dedicated to understanding the tonality that's important, the method of communication that's important. Um, this is a very underserved market. And it's really nice to know that there's companies like True Accord who are looking at this as an opportunity to create great customer experiences for people who actually can move very easily if given right the opportunity from being in debt to building up credit and not having that happen again. Are there any inspirational stories that you know come to mind for you when thinking about the impact that your product has had on people so far? Yeah, I guess one of the most rewarding things about working at True Accord is that we see the comments from client from consumers that we have helped both they will post them. I mean, we are uh, in debt collection and we still, if you go to uh, Google, we have four, four, uh, four stars in Google with reviews. And when you read those reviews or when we read what our call center agents hear, we have an inbound call center for people who need extra help. They share the comments that they get, and it's so rewarding. Like you will see comments from people saying, I was desperate. I did not know what to do. You were respectful. You helped me go through the process. You allowed me to set up the plan that allowed me to get out of debt. Thank you so much. So those type of stories really, uh, I think, are encouraging for every single person in True Accord. But we also uh, did, through our marketing team, a pretty big research 
where we had a company go and interview a lot of people in debt. And it is very eye-opening how people in debt feel. There's, I think, this idea that people in debt are in debt because they were not careful with what they were doing or they are bad people and they don't want to pay. And it is completely the opposite. It's people, they are aware that being in debt uh, prevents them from moving forward in many things. They will not be able to get a new loan. They want to get out of debt. But there is this combination of feeling helpless and shame. There's a lot of shame around being in debt. And it feels very isolated. And many of them don't realize that this is something that affects many, many other people. But people don't want to talk about being in debt. So when we reach out to consumers who are in debt to engage them, we now understand more where they are coming from, what their mood is, and that helps us figure out what is the messaging, what is the tone that we want to use with them, and so that they feel that we're there to help them through this journey and get out of where they are inspiring and um i'm sure you'll have many people checking out to record after this so i encourage all of you listeners to do that um it's a very it's a very cool company uh to watch and see the impact and i enjoy calling you guys even on things like linkedin because i like the content you post it's one of those things that i just see and it makes me happy uh in this b2b world that i live in it's nice to see the impact that happens to consumers um, and consumers that are overlooked a lot of times for reasons that as you said is not really fair so and the reality is we're a B2B2C. Our clients are the credit cards companies, are the banks, are the fintechs. But what we have learned is that we will do best for our clients when we do right for the consumers. The consumers, if they're treated well, if they're helped, are going to be much more willing to pay back those debts that they owe with our clients than if they have a debt with somebody else and they're being treated poorly. Absolutely. So Laura, let's take a step back um, into time and talk. I mean, obviously you're at True Accord now, but can you tell us a little bit of your journey um, to get there and some of the poignant moments for you along the way? Well, I've had a long career in product and I have been in different companies, different industries, small, large companies. I am passionate about companies that are going through the growth stage. Um, Everybody who's in product knows that we have a tough job. I mean, we have to make tough decisions pretty much every day. But for me, the most challenging point in my entire professional life came two years ago when I actually had to make decisions about the livelihood of people in my team. I had to make these really, really tough decisions about laying off people and eventually realizing that I myself was no longer needed. So this was two years ago, beginning of the pandemic. And I was working for a wonderful company. We were doing software for talent acquisition for recruiting. And I had been with the company for about two years. And what I had done was to really build up the product and design team. I had really grown that team and I had partnered with the engineering leader to build out and grow the engineering organization as well. We had organized them in uh, the right teams. We actually had opened a new office in Toronto. 
uh, we had been really growing. I had a wonderful team. And then COVID hit. And I was part of the executive team, and we knew that we needed to go for funding that year. And of course, when COVID hit, and we're selling recruiting software, and every company out there seemed to be laying off people, we knew that we were in trouble. We knew we were not going to be able to get funding, and we also knew that we could not expect uh, significant sales because who was going to be buying brand new uh, technology for recruiting when they were busy laying off people? So for days with the executive team, we were looking at how we could cut costs so that the company could be self-sustaining at least for a period of time. And we iterated and we started having to see where we would cut. And I tell you, making decisions about where to cut, clearly you are focused on what the business needs, but every decision has a very, very human impact. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night in total anguish, thinking about the product manager who had just bought a house, thinking about the designer who had a visa, uh, thinking about the person I had just hired for product operations who had been so happy because she had been unemployed for some time. And it was just heartbreaking. So we iterated, we made some really, really tough decisions, but we came back with a plan and we presented the plan to the board. And I thought, okay, this has been really, really hard, but we will move forward. The company was really focused on how we would treat well, those people were going to have to be let go. So we presented the plan to the board and it was a really, really tough uh, plan. I mean, we were cutting a lot of people. The board came back and they said that we needed to cut even further. And at that point, looking at my new target budget, looking at my team, I realized that there was no further cutting that I, I needed to. There was at that point, my team was going back to pretty much the size it was when I first joined. The difference is that I had now built more of a management uh, team under me. And I realized that there was no reason for my role to, to continue given the level of cuts. So, and it was very scary. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm no longer needed. I need to go and going meant going into the unknown. This is like everybody's firing people and I have no idea what I'm going to do next. But it was clear. At that point, it was just very clear. There was no reason for me to stay. So with that, the one thing that was good is it took off my shoulders the decision of the further cuts. I, I did not have to make the call of who else was going to be cut. So I stayed, tried to organize how the team was going to be um, aligned after I left and uh, collaborating with the rest of the executive team on what the process was going to be like. And then the day of the RIV was very painful because, again, this was a very nice company. Everybody liked each other. And so it was really hard for both those people who were being let go and people who stayed. But it was also heartwarming to get the messages I got from my team and from others who had worked with me. And to this day, I stay in touch with a lot of the people who are part of my team. Um, 
but I, I tell you that was that was the hardest. And and of course, after I left, I was I have no idea what I'm going to do next because this was beginning of pandemic and and people were still laying off. Uh, of course, now we look back and we know that tech did really well during the pandemic and that some companies, while some were laying off people, others were starting to hire like crazy. So I was fortunate that I, and I was fortunate to also see that the people that I had to let go pretty soon, they started uh, getting opportunities, which was at least very kind of uh, uh more reassuring that okay it was it wasn't as bad for them and so i started uh looking at what i was going to do next i had the opportunity and i'm actually very thankful for that that i could take the time to see what is it that i really want to do next i didn't need to jump to the first thing that showed up i could afford the time and, and taking kind of thinking deeply what i wanted I got to do a bit of consulting, which was a lot of fun, but I primarily started really putting in my mind, what were the things that I wanted for my next job? And one thing that kept coming back was I wanted to work for a company that was really doing something that was more of a mission. And I didn't know exactly in what space that was pretty broad, but the fact that we were going through this a pandemic and that there were so many, many people uh, really suffering through the process made me think, okay, at this point in my career, going for a company that is mission-driven became more important. And that's when True Accord showed up. But of course, I mean, the first thing was uh, executive recruiter calling me about True Accord, you know, like company that's in debt collection. Why, why would I ever want to do that. But uh, sure enough, I knew a person who had done some consulting for them. So I spoke with him. He said, no, you need to talk to them. They're a really great company. At a minimum, talk to them. And sure enough, after I started talking to Ohad in the executive team and really started looking at what the company was trying to do, it became clear that this is exactly the type of company I want to work for. It's a complex problem that impacts a lot of people and those people who are impacted by this problem really need help. And this is a space where technology, uh, product, consumer approach has not really penetrated. So I, I thought, I mean, this is an incredible mission, an incredible challenge. Uh, so here I am. It's an amazing story. And, you know, I'm, I can't really imagine how difficult it must have be, been to kind of go back to, to Lever and like think about being going through those cuts so i think all of us listening either were impacted by people making those decisions or we're having to make those decisions fortunately because everybody went into you know kind of um, contingency planning and i like i'm trying to put myself in the shoes of what that moment felt like of looking at those cuts and and having this realization like hey i i might need to go um I, i'm sure that was incredibly difficult did you do you remember kind of like was that okay, it just kind of went off in Laura's head. And did you go off and talk to people you trusted to kind of sanity check with that? Like, I mean, how did you kind of, because I can see both sides, quite frankly. Um, yes, obviously you need to be in a self-sufficient place for this undeterminate period of time, but actually product is one of the best places to discover new growth items and growth lines and keep you nimble in times where things change. So I can see if I were you, I feel like I would have had a 
devil and an angel on my shoulder being like, yeah, you should go. No, you shouldn't. You know? So how did you make that decision? I guess. I, the way I describe it is I think I saw it in the spreadsheet. I mean, I had this spreadsheet. We had already been looking and I was like, okay, now I need to cut more. And I'm looking at my team and he's like, no, it's obvious. It's obvious that there's no justification for me staying as an executive, SVP of product. I had a very strong director. I knew he could run the team. And with the way that we were contracting the overall company, I was like, nope, this, this really. So what I said is like, I'm, I'm, I'm not cutting anymore. This is it. And sure, that was, I think that that was the right decision. One thing that I've been thinking about lately is like we're going through a period that is looking a little bit like that. I mean, you're reading about layoffs every day. And I think a lot about the managers, the executives that are making the decisions. I think a lot about the people who are being impacted. I think that the market is still very hot. So I am hopeful that people who are being let go are finding good homes. We are hiring, so definitely uh, any engineers that we know are being let go will reach out. But it's still a heartbreaking process to go through as a manager, especially as somebody who has built their own team. Because every individual that you've brought on board to the team is special, right? And so then having to decide, oh, we're going to tell this person that they are no longer needed or that we can no longer afford, it is really heartbreaking. So yeah, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about my experience as I read about what many companies are going through right now. Absolutely. And I know that you're super passionate about women and leadership. And I mean, one of the things that I remember uh, in the early days of the pandemic is people having these discussions. And I, I don't mean to, you know, be all encompassing in this, but I felt like I heard a lot more women uh, in my network saying, you know, qu questioning what was best for the business. And I didn't hear as many men like having this discussion. And I guess the point is like you were playing a very important role, not only in your day job, but also you and inspiring people, you know, someone, you know, your background and your position in that role. And then you, you know, you left and I can't help but think, no, I don't want, you know, so if we're going into another one of those cycles, Laura, please don't leave because I think we need, we need uh, women in positions of leadership. Um, um, so I, I'm obviously, it sounds like it was the right decision, but it's part of me that just hears that and kind of roils against it because, you know, I just don't see the same kind of humility um, necessarily uh, across the executive teams always about like, hey, should I make this really hard choice that's going to mean I leave the table, right? Uh, and I, I just think it's something to consider, right, for all of us. Yeah, I you read some pretty awful stories right now about companies that are having to make this really uh, deep cuts, but then you hear about decisions that were made by the CEOs and potentially executives that seemed quite selfish. I would say that the key thing to keep in mind is that business decisions have true human impact. And people who are having to make those tough business decisions cannot ignore the human side of things. 
I don't think that is valid to just say, oh, well, it's pure business and we just need to look at the numbers. That is not the right way to look at it. You really need to understand that there are a lot of uh, human impacts and that it is the responsibility for the company to do the best they can, even for those people who are going to be let go. And yeah, I know that not, not every company is as uh, conscientious about that. And it is a little scary when you read about some of the things that have uh, happened. So uh, yeah, I hope that, that people who are going through this are really thinking about it carefully. Absolutely. I think I can kind of guess about the takeaways that you want listeners to have here in that kind of exactly what you just said, right? Business decisions have human consequences, right? But if you were, um, if there's a baby Laura out there listening, what do you want that person to, to know and to maybe benefit from what you've learned through this whole process? Well, one thing that I would say is that the culture of a company is very important. And uh, when you're picking where to go, pay attention to the culture. And I was very fortunate, never had a wonderful culture and True Accord is a wonderful culture. But even during tough period, especially during tough periods, is where you will see what the difference is if you're working for a company that has good culture versus not. I worry that sometimes people early in their careers are um, awestruck by fancy names of companies that are the tech companies that everybody wants to work for, the ones that pay best, the ones that everybody feels that they are the best because they were the chosen one. I would say be very careful when you're choosing how to move in your career because those things may not be the things that are most important. So pick a company that has good culture, that has a mission that you can really feel proud about working for that company. And uh, hopefully that has an executive team that's mature enough. That was uh, something that I think it's also very valuable because when you go through tough periods, that's where having uh, CEOs who are experienced, executive teams who are experienced will make the difference. And we've been in this, um, I wouldn't, don't know if I should say a bubble, but we've had many years of uh, tech really kind of going up and up in spite of having got through COVID. And now we're seeing this downturn and this is where uh, experience from people who've seen downturns before makes a difference. Absolutely, absolutely. And great advice. So kind of changing gears a little bit, um, you said that one of the things that, you know, beyond the mission and the culture of the company, but one of the things that really appealed to you was the complexity of the problem, right? And the magnitude with which it was impacting people. But the part of, you know, as you said, of what makes your problem space so complex is these different players that you're interacting with um, and some of whom are extremely, you know, and for good reason uh, because of the regulation and the challenges in that space, but they can be slow to move, slow to innovate. Um, so how do you, how do you see your job and how do you bring innovation in an area that is, you know, either somewhat intransigent because it's just very well established, right? Um, or areas that are very highly regulated. So the risk of doing new things is not always clear uh, in terms of the benefit of that versus just staying the same. Um, because I think people who are working in similar spaces would like to hear, how do you keep pushing the boundaries? How do you keep innovating 
when maybe your customer set um, is a bit resistant to that and, and often for good reason. Yeah, I do say that I've realized and I've learned a lot since joining Torcord, but I realized that uh, we in Torcord have a combination of two cultures, which at times makes things harder, but it is the reason why we can do what we do. We have part of the company that has background in traditional financial services, very strong understanding of regulations. And then the other half of the company is tech, right? Where we have a lot of uh, tech people. We do AI, machine learning, a lot of the uh, consumer understanding, complex integrations. And we need each other because I don't believe that you can bring transformation to a space as complex as debt collection if you just come from the tech world, because yes, you'll have all these great ideas and then you'll find that no, you can't do a lot of things because of regulation and because of the things, the way things work. But I also think that a company that has been in a very traditional big financial services space can bring the level of innovation needed to really reinvent this space. So I think that you need this combination of these two worlds coming together and you need to be willing to learn from each other. And that's really what's happened at True Accord. I, I had to come in and uh, do a lot of explaining of what is the role of product in a tech company. Many times when you think of the way that large financial services organizations and so on work, um, it's a very waterfall model. They think of product and engineering as the business decides something, they give it to a product person who's really a project manager. That person goes, makes sure that engineering delivers on whatever the business wanted, and you just keep track of the dates when stuff's going to be delivered. And that's completely different than the way product really works in tech companies. But trying to bring that product culture and that education took a while. And one of the reasons why uh, the CEO brought me on board, he said he wanted somebody with strong experience in product because he knew it was going to be necessary to educate and have kind of a strong representative product because we have very strong people on the business side who are very, very knowledgeable about that space. But in the same direction, I've learned a lot about the complexity of this space. And yes, I was like, oh, I don't want to have to worry about so many limitations and regulations. Well, you do. You do because it's a very, very regulated space for a good reason. Or, or maybe because historically it's been such an abusive approach to debt collection that I think that the government felt that they needed to do a lot of regulation. CFPB has been really looking at this space because it had been so abusive. So we're coming with a completely different approach, but we still need to make sure that we are following all of the regulations and you need experts who understand those. For people who work at B2B2C companies, any advice that you would give to them on how to, um, because I think it can be difficult, right? People in terms of prioritizing who matters, right? Is it the end user? Is it the business, right? Um, so that's another level of complexity that you guys have at True Accord. Any advice for people who work in a B2B2C company um, in a product role and are thinking about, you know, anything from, you know, prioritization, even to positioning and packaging, right? Um, things that you've learned kind of during your time so far? 
I think that the most important thing is to make sure that there's alignment on the goals because for us, I think what is most helpful is we know that by helping the consumers, we're helping our clients. If you are in a situation where you feel that you're making trade-offs and you either do something that's good for the client but bad for the consumer or good for the, for the consumer and bad for the client, that's a really bad place to be. So if you feel that you're in that situation, I would say you step back and say there's something wrong. You need to kind of revisit the approach. But once you know that what you're aligning is a win-win, it's a win for the consumer, it's a win for your client, then it's easier. And then the uh, trade-offs and so on become more your natural sort of product trade-offs. Certainly we have uh, teams working on different areas of the product and they are not completely fungible. <laughs> so it's not like I can say, okay, I'm gonna put all of engineering to work for the next two months on the consumer facing piece and then work, move them all to the integration side or the reporting side for the client. So we do have uh, the groups that are working on specific areas of the product, the group that's working on the complex AI and communications. And for we, what we do is we align based on company goals. So we have our company mission. We look at at the company level, what are our goals for the next year? And then we start looking at how can each of the teams and each of the products best support those goals? What are going to be the initiatives? And we do have different products. We also have a product that's for the um, first party debt collection. So we also have a product that's more, we call it um, uh, collections as a service. So it is a product where we have um, the client branding to do the collection, but it's the same concept. So you are a fintech, uh, some of your consumers start falling behind and during those first 30 to 60 days, you want to be reaching out to them, but you don't wanna be reaching out to them with calls. Here you are and you're a fintech that has this great app, everything has been digital and all of a sudden as a consumer, you start getting calls. Like that just doesn't sound right. So instead, what we do is we provide the technology and all of the learnings we've had from how to engage with consumers, how to communicate with emails, with SMS and the right cadence. We do that for that first party collection, but uh, with the branding of the client. So those consumers who are starting falling behind will get an email or a text message from the company that they've been working with. Uh, encouraging them to, hey, let's start getting you uh, current, reach out, sending them to the payment portal. And so it is a much more seamless transition for them or kind of they're falling behind, but now they're still being treated the same way. So that is uh, one of the areas that we've been really investing in because we learned so much during kind of doing the third party debt collection, which is even more regulated. And now we're saying, well, we definitely can provide a lot of value in that first party uh, collection stage where people are just starting to fall behind. We want them to get, catch up, get current before more and more time passes. And so that's how we're working, uh, helping our clients also now. I think the, you know, to kind of abstract out what, if someone's in a B2B to C space, one of the easiest, it sounds like, and not to say that doing it is easy, but one of the easiest kind of guardrails to keep in mind is 
when you're making decisions on features or prioritization or even messaging and packaging, you need to be thinking about is what you're doing also check for, so if you're do, making a decision that's going to be on the consumer, is it also check for the business or vice versa, business for the consumer? And and thinking about that in almost like a, you know, a, a cyclical kind of uh, relationship of making sure that uh, you're never making decisions that don't account for that impact. Yes, yes. You don't want to be making decisions that negatively impact one of your, you want to make the decisions that help them both. And that I think is the biggest guidance that you can have is like, what can I do to that can help both? And if the goals are aligned, again, the goal for the client, and of course, to recover as much as possible, but the goal for the consumer is to also be able to uh, get current with those debts. The best you treat the consumers, the most likely they are to pick that debt to pay back. One thing that people don't realize is that unfortunately, when somebody falls into debt, they are very likely to have multiple debts. And it's not surprising because if you are living somewhat paycheck to paycheck and something bad happens, like a bad illness or something, all of a sudden you have probably stopped paying everything you were paying. So all of a sudden you may be in debt across multiple services, your credit card, your loan. And as companies try to get the consumer to start paying back those debts, the consumer will make a decision of where to allocate the money that they start getting, which debts to pay first. And that's where if they are treated well, if they are given options and empowered to make some decisions as to kind of how many payments I can make, how big of a payment, they are going to be much more likely to pick that debt to pay back first versus debts for which they may be getting people calling them and harassing them. Right. So if uh, if there's anyone listening who thinks, wow, you know, I know somebody who could really use something like this, right? Um, either I'm thinking more, more likely that it'll be someone who's like, wow, as a consumer, someone could really take advantage of this, um, but also as a business. Um, is it just going to trueafford.com or is there a different brand for the consumer-facing side? How would people learn more about it? Well, right now, I think that the best way is to go to uh, trueaccord.com. Uh, we definitely are working on a lot of great ideas where the marketing team uh, is um, adding a lot of information. We have uh, great webcasts on educating about a lot of what we're doing and a lot about this space. I think that there's a lot of education that we can do. Uh, we just recently had a, a web, uh, webinar on how we approach the whole AI. How do we learn things that help us better engage with consumers? We have others talking more about the regulatory side of things. So I think that it is a great source for um, learning and uh, also for kind of where we see things going. I think that um, as we we do play the role of thought leaders in this space because we're looking at this space differently. I personally am I'm very passionate about fintech. And when I think of fintech companies and what they're doing, in my mind, the most logical thing is for them to partner with us uh, on that like first party collection because you don't want your consumers to fall off that cliff the day that they are behind. You don't want them to kind of disappear uh, and become a 
number for your underwriting models. So I think that that's where we really can partner very well. Fantastic. Okay, Laura, so we're getting to my favorite part of the show where I ask you if there was a museum that was dedicated to the most important product in the world, what do you think should be in that product um, museum and why? That's a really tough uh, question. And of course, we have to put some probably time frame around what we're looking at. I don't think that we're going to go back to the invention of, uh, I don't know, the internet. Uh, but I, I probably would say um, there are a couple of, of products or directions I would go. One might be around, if not a specific product, sort of a technology. And this is kind of dear and near to my heart because I spent many, many years in speech recognition. And today, if you get, you have Alexa or you have uh, Google Home, it's pretty amazing. You can just tell them anything and they understand. And so you would say, well, that is the product that I would put. But that pro those two products are really the result of years and years of evolution in speech recognition. And I was in speech recognition in the earlier days where it was still like, you had to be very specific as you what you told the system so that it would answer. But I saw it evolve and it evolved as we got more data, as companies like Google were able to get so much more data and got so much smarter that to me, uh, that is such an interesting uh, piece. So I would say I would put speech recognition in the museum with the examples of how far we've come but with the realization that this is not like, oh, one day Google just was genius and did this. Like nuance was at the beginning of everything that was speech recognition. So um, that's one of my favorite ones. Another one, and it's a very different approach, is um, Kiva.org. And this goes back to when I think of something that is using technology, but to really make an impact and a mission, uh, I love Kiva. I am a supporter. I've been investing in a lot of the entrepreneurs, of course, in Colombia, because I'm from Colombia. So I go and, and pick people who are trying to do something. Uh, but I just find that it is such a valuable service that they are providing through this technology um, that I, I really, really like that. And then the fact and would be maybe the electric cars because uh, we are in a really tough place with uh, our uh, climate change. And so the faster we can move to solar energy, uh, the better we will be. So we, we have two electric cars, love them. I hated, hated going to the gas stations. So having electric cars, you don't have to worry about that. Have you, have you seen the Polestar? No. Oh, I have to say, I uh, I go to a lot of car shows, um, and Polestar, is, it is a beautiful electric car. I highly encourage you to check it out. I really like it. <laughs> well, we have the small ones, none of the fancy ones. I also like small cars. I don't like driving. But um, I think that, that it's so nice to just be relying on solar energy. One last thing to uh, have to stop off and do during your day, your busy day. <laughs> Well, Laura, it's been such a pleasure to learn more about you, um, hear your journey. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing a bit of your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure talking with you, Yama. <laughs> Take care.
Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.